morning, friends. What a great joy to dedicate Thomas to the Lord. Thank you for being our church family, and um, we're just so grateful. If you'd be turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8 while I get started here, I'd like to start this morning with a story about Esther. Uh, Esther uh, the summer of her, between her junior and senior year at Wheaton College, um, went to Ethiopia for six months to research and to teach about AIDS um, in, in uh, poor areas of that country. And as she landed in the plane, uh, she was put in a car and whisked off. She was told, we're going to take you to a meeting and we want you to preach. We want you to bring something from the Word. And imagine traveling all that distance and then being told, boom, we're going to use you and we want you to bring the Word of the Lord. Well, as you can imagine, um, she was filled with anxiety about what do I say? And those of you who have been on the mission field know that this happens all the time, where you're just put on the spot, no no preparation. And so she went and she spoke what the Lord gave her, and it was very, very well received. The people were wildly enthusiastic and grateful. And she was asked to do this again and again and again. And um, she said, Dad, when, when it first started in the early months, she said, I was just filled with dread, and I would go to the Lord, you know, just filled with anxiety that I would hear exactly what he wants me to say. But by the end, she said, I, I realized that it was going so well, not because I was hearing the voice of the Lord so accurately about what to share, but because the people were so hungry. And I thought of the words of Jesus where he says, take heed how you hear. That at least means to be very, extremely careful listeners when the word of God is preached. Um, many times in the scriptures, in the gospels particularly, and in the book of Revelations, we read the phrase that everyone who has an ear let them hear. And uh, so this idea of hearing the word of the Lord and that the responsibility is on the hearer more than the speaker, I think was a reality that Esther was bringing to light for me. I'd never thought about it before, but when it comes to preaching or speaking the word of God, uh, the scriptures seem to say, don't sweat it. Uh, be very relaxed, the Lord will fill your mouth. And so I'm going to try to be very relaxed this morning and put all the pressure on you, uh, as the scriptures say. So I want to speak on listening this morning, and more specifically, or exhorting you all and myself to be extremely careful listeners. Extremely careful listeners in three areas. First of all, we need to be extremely careful in how we listen to the Word of God. 
Secondly, how we listen to other people. And third, how to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So let's have a word of prayer that we can do just that. Amen? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this moment. We do pray, Lord, that you would make our ears the ears of disciples. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would have absolute reign to apply this word to each one as you wish. And we trust, Lord, that it will bear eternal fruit, that we're not just going through the motions of having church, but, Lord, that we are and will be changed from one degree of glory to another. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So first of all, we have to take extreme care when we listen to the Word of God. This idea of taking heed how you hear, that's actually a phrase that's used only one time in the New King James Version in Luke 8, verse 18. And in the NIV, the rest of that verse says this, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understand will be taken away from them. So let's look at uh, Luke 8, starting in verse 4. This is the parable of the sower and the seed. And when a great multitude were coming together and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. The other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into good soil. And it grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And he said these, and as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might be. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables in order that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and the, but these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fr fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And then three verses later, therefore take heed 
how you hear. You know, when the word is preached or, or when we read the word of God, I think you'll agree with me that it's always calling us to obedience. It's not just about listening. When, when, we, when we think about the phrase, take heed how you hear, there's also a sense of it's critical how you respond. It's not just about how you hear, but it's, it's calling for a particular response, and it's a response of obedience. I've often said that obedience is the love language of God. Some examples would be, uh, I think it's out of the book of Samuel, to obey is better than sacrifice. Another one is, he who has my commandments and keeps them, Jesus said, he it, it is. Who loves me? Here's another one from Hebrews. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. And then Paul wrote, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So, yes, the word calls us to obedience, doesn't it? But it also calls us to an obedience that is infused with love and good deeds. Here's a couple of verses on love. 1 Peter 1.22, Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Don't you love that verse? Fervently love one another from the heart. And then, of course, Jesus saying, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And here are some on good deeds. Do you remember Titus? He said, let our people learn to engage in good deeds. James said, faith without works is dead. Timothy said, instruct them to be rich in good deeds. And in Ephesians, we read, we are his workmanship created for good works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Honestly, you guys, I'm so proud to be a part of this church. I'm so proud that we respond well to the word of God, that we really listen and we try to be obedient, and the uh, abundance of good deeds that are performed by this church and by individuals in this church is just amazing. Let me remind you of a few of them. We're a church that cares about at-risk kids at Kendall Whittier School. We've done so for how long? Maybe close to 20 years? We're a church that helped provide free medical care to the poor. Actually, the first church in Tulsa to do that. We did that for about a dozen years. And hats off, especially to Dave Troutman and Spencer and uh, Steve Sperber for their faithfulness to that ministry. I'm so proud that we're a church that cares about the mentally ill, the homeless, the marginalized. I'm proud that we're a church that responded to the Nepal earthquakes and the floods more recently in Louisiana. 
And I'm especially proud that we're a church that when somebody's sick, uh, you have to practically beat a path through everyone to get to their bedside in the hospital. We're a church whose members work with severely handicapped children who fight sex trafficking and the sex trafficking industry, even at the same time that we support and reach out and help those among us who have a sexual addiction. We have members who are ministering to prisoners. We have members who actively support and travel to the persecuted church and the underground church around the world. We prayed for some of those this morning. We have career missionaries who've served their entire adult, adult lives in countries around the world. We have those who help young mothers decide not to abort their babies. We have some who daily convince members of our community not to take their own lives. We have members who teach literacy. We have doctors literally saving lives in other countries in some of the darkest places in the world. We have a professor who teaches in a second language on a doctoral level on another continent. And we have linguists translating the Bible into native languages where an alphabet may or may not yet exist. We have a church full of veterans who have fought for our country. I'm very proud of that, and we honor you. And we have a cadre of young people who are doing that currently and in harm's way, and so we pray for them. Though our church is little by the world standards, I want to say it is a powerhouse of love and good deeds. And we give all the glory to God, don't we? But we can do more. We can do more. And uh, I thank God that we're a church that listens extremely carefully to the Word of God and strives to be obedient, but also exude, or along with that, exude in love. We remember James 1.22 that says, Be doers of the Word and not hearers only deluding yourselves. So let's take heed. Let's continue to take heed and listen very carefully and be very thoughtful about our response to the Word of God. Let's take heed how we hear. Second, uh, we need to show extreme care when we listen to other people, don't we? This is even maybe trickier in a way. The signal verse here I'm thinking of is James 1, verse 19. Here it is. This you know, my beloved brethren, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let me read that again. Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, I'd like to note some things about this verse. First of all, let's look at that word, everyone. I think everyone 
probably in the Greek means everyone. In other words, we don't have the freedom to exempt ourselves from this injunction because we love to talk. Everyone be slow to speak, quick to hear, and so on. And the adverbs here, quick and slow, quick and slow, I'm not sure, I'm quite sure actually, that they're not meant to be reversed or considered interchangeable. Have any of you ever reversed these two and gotten into trouble? Uh, I remember a time when I was a chaplain at ORU, and uh, I was too quick to speak um, about a TV preacher to one of my colleagues who thought he hung the moon. And uh, I had just heard another minister that morning sort of badmouth this particular TV preacher. I'd never seen him. I'd never heard him speak. But in my vast pool of wisdom, I shared with this devotee of his uh, my opinion based on what I'd heard that morning from another minister how uh, bad this TV preacher was. Well, guess what? That night, my colleague called the minister while he was on TV and told him about our conversation. And um, I looked pretty foolish on television as they discussed my great pool of ignorance. Proverbs 29.20 speaks to this. It says, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope than for a fool than for him. On the other hand, I've learned that if I'm slow to speak, uh, there are some great advantages. Anybody learned that lesson? First of all, we look smarter than we are. Uh, Proverbs 17.28 talks about this. It says this, even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is counted prudent. Another advantage is we have time to think about how we want to respond. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And then Ephesians 4.29, such a powerful verse, um, teaches us that if we're slow to speak, it gives us time to season what we say with grace and make it fitting for the moment, right? Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Abraham Lincoln was such a great uh, man of quips and riddles. So if I haven't convinced you yet that uh, quick and slow are not interchangeable and reversible, 
you might trust Abraham Lincoln. He said, it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. A lot of us have heard that, yeah. But I saw a new one. He, he must have been somewhere in his lawyering days or, or as president. He must have uh, been accused of being dishonest or two-faced. And I saw this one that I thought was hysterical. As he made fun of his own appearance, he said, If I were being two-faced, do you think I'd wear this one? Well, it's not an exaggeration to say that I am a professional listener. Both as a pastor and a counselor, I've had extensive training in listening to people. And uh, I've been focused lately on how we listen to each other or don't listen. Kind of the dance that we go through as we listen to each other and have a conversation. And I've decided because I'm immature, to identify these patterns and label them for us so that we can hopefully grow in taking heed in how we listen to each other. So the first listener is really not a listener at all that I've labeled. The first listener is called the incessant talker. Incessant means someone, or incessant means continuous and without interruption. Do any of you know someone like that? Now, as an adult, um, it's, it's very unbecoming, but usually this is a junior high girl. I remember uh, passing Nathaniel when he was in the eighth grade up in our loft, and the phone was off the hook, just resting on a table, and he was doing his homework. And I said, Nathaniel, hang up the phone. He said... Oh, Dad, there's a couple of, couple of girls that called me and were talking. And I said, well, you don't even have the phone on your ear. You know, you should at least listen. He said, oh, no. He said, don't worry. If, if I pick up the phone about every 20 minutes and say something, I can put it down for the next 20 minutes. And they're fine. I remember a particular girl in basic who was an incessant talker. She's a wonderful woman of God and a wonderful adult, but she was a talker. And I remember uh, Paul Brothers telling me that he and Hans Helmrich were picking her up somewhere from school or something and taking her somewhere else. And they decided before she got in the car that they were going to talk constantly and not allow her to get a a word in edgewise and see if her head exploded. (laughs) I I sure wish I could have been in that car and watched that happen. So it's really cute. Incessant talkers are really cute when they're young girls, but but when it's an adult, um, it's not so cute. This person monopolizes the conversation, don't they? And they go on and on at a party. The problem here is that monopolizing. And there's not a just distribution of airtime. People are smiling graciously at the monopolizer. But inside their heads is the refrain 
from the Southwest Airlines commercial. Want to get away? Yes. And the non-monopolizers are looking at each other saying, with pleading expressions in their eyes, will you rescue us from this situation? So that's the incessant talker. Um, Maybe the one I want to hit the hardest, though, is what I would call the narcissistic listener. Um, You remember Narcissus was the son of a river god in Greek mythology, and he looked at him, he was very handsome, very beautiful. He looked at himself in, in the reflection of the water, and he was so enamored with himself, he couldn't tear himself away. And uh, he eventually died because he, he didn't eat or drink. He just fell in love with himself. And uh, narcissism means, you know, you have a fixation with yourself. And so here's how this works, I think, with listening. Is someone will start to tell another person about a serious problem that they're encountering And if the listener is a narcissistic listener, they'll immediately jump in with their story and tell you on and on and go on and on about their story. And the speaker with the trauma or the pain is left kind of in a a puddle of isolation and hurt. You could be telling someone about you know, a narcissistic listener, you you could be telling them about a recent cancer diagnosis. And they would launch into, oh, yes, my uncle Ned has terminal cancer as well. And my dog, his leg fell off. And I have a sliver in my finger. And my washer and dryer and refrigerator all broke this week. You see how it is, right? We've all done it. But some of us are worse than others. You know, and again, in my immature mind, I think about, you know, how, how ludicrous would you have to go to break the pattern? For example, if I said to someone, a narcissistic listener, you know, I was walking down the street the other day and my head fell off. You know, would they launch into, well, my head fell off too just a couple days ago and My dog's head fell off, and I got a sliver in my finger, and my finger fell off, and then my washer, dryer, and refrigerator broke. You you get the idea. Let's not be that guy. Amen? Let's not be that guy. Of course, stories are hitting our minds that relate to what the person is saying, but we need to be respectful and honor what they're thinking and feeling. What uh, sparked this thought was actually an article in Reader's Digest on the art of offering love and comfort. And the the writer said, don't compare ever. Don't say, I understand what it's like to lose a child. My dog died, and that was hard too. Even if the comparison seems appropriate to you, don't make it. Each trauma should be respected in its uniqueness. Isn't that a good line? Each trauma should be respected in its uniqueness. On the inside, for the speaker, comparisons sting as clueless, careless, or just plain false. Let's not be that kind of listener.
Then a third category is the fix-it listener. This listener wants to help. They have a heart of compassion. Usually they're male. They hate to see us suffer and are desperate to offer a possible solution. How many of you are fix-it people? Men and women of action. And you want to bring solution to the problem that's in front of you. But the problem here is not bringing a solution. The problem is timing. Right? We need to listen and respect that person who's, who's sharing their heart or their suffering. And we can bring a solution later. Again, the problem is timing. Uh, we had a young man at our house. He was Dutch. This was the first time we'd met him. We were sitting around the house telling jokes, and um, he said, I want to tell a joke. And so we said, okay, Joel, his name was Joel, tell a joke. And he said, uh, why are the Dutch so bad at telling jokes, timing? (laughs) So this is the problem with the fix-it listener. It's a problem of timing. Well, I want to look at Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. You might remember that Joel's, uh, excuse me, Job's friends were fix-it guys, but they were not, uh, they, they actually did a very good job sitting with Job in his suffering, before they ever opened their mouths. Let's look at Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes at a great distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Now listen to this. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. Isn't that beautiful? I think these were true friends. Even though the Lord rebukes them at the end and uh, that they suggested solutions that were displeasing to the Lord, still they were friends who sat with their friend for a full week without saying anything. If you remember nothing else from this message, I'd like you to remember that Job's friends sat for a week before they went into their own thinking or their own solutions for Job's suffering. Well, we want to be the last category, which I'm calling an extremely careful listener, don't we? We want to be those who take heed what they hear, how they hear, even when other people are talking. For this, I'd like to use the example of I was just a few handful of years here at TCF. I was going through discipleship training. We were at a party, I think, at the Wild Fork uh, 
in Utica Square. I'd been laid off from the City of Faith as a minister, a chaplain there, about a month previous, and I was feeling pretty angry about it. Um, and Dan McConnell was there, and he listened to me uh, vent about uh, the anger I felt about being laid off and losing my job. And I just remember it being such a, him being such a good listener. Uh, he didn't judge my anger. I felt like I could tell him what I was really feeling without him judging me. Uh, he was sympathetic. He didn't offer advice. He expressed care and concern. He didn't talk about himself. He didn't try to move me along or move me to any particular conclusion that I should have. And one thing he did is uh, he, didn't, he didn't say I was um, making it out of proportion, which I absolutely was. I mean, it's not that big a deal. But, but I, I was way out of proportion in my feelings, and yet Dan didn't confront me about that. I would like to say that careful listeners are patient and disciplined and humble and caring and calm and kind. And they can overlook false perceptions, illusions, maybe out of proportion emotions for a moment, knowing they can come back around and address those later. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't have to pounce on a false perception right away or, a, or an, an untruth. We can let that moment go and come back to it later to be sensitive listeners. I want to just encourage us as we seek to be better listeners that we take heed how we hear with other people. And now finally, listening to the Holy Spirit. We need to be extremely careful of to constantly be listening for the Holy Spirit, don't we? Isaiah 54 is the verse that I want to look at here. 50 verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. You know, I thought I had never heard a message on listening. Uh, as I was preparing this message, I thought, you know, I don't think I've ever heard a message on listening. Uh, but I happened to be going through this year's sermons on the TCF website, and I saw that Gordon preached a message called, Are You Listening? in May. And I went, oh, no, I must not have been listening. <laughs> How ironic is that? You know, and so I listened to the message again and realized that I had been listening. It's just my memory shot. And uh, that was a great comfort to me. But he made a lot of good points in that message. He said, what God has to say to us is much more important than what we have to say to God. And he cited um, a beautiful verse in Ecclesiastes, verse 5 that I had forgotten about or, uh, you know, not noticed, kept in my mind, where it says, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen 
rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. Pretty consistent theme here, isn't there, through Scripture. And then Gordon went on to uh, cite the same verse that I just read about having the ear of a disciple, Isaiah 50 verse 4, 50 verse 4 but he also uh, cited Isaiah 50 verse 5. The Lord has opened my ear that I, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. And Gordon emphasized that we listen to his voice but then we are obedient to what he says. He exhorted us to purpose to listen, to be attentive, to make time to listen. And so I especially appreciated that last point about making time to listen. And I want to ask you to evaluate your own schedule right now and ask the question, when do I make time to listen purposely, intentionally listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit? Really, when do you do that? And uh, you might need to make a decision to uh, establish some times. I know several men of God who have those times. For example, I know one man in this body who gets up around four and he sits in the dark until about 6 a.m., just listening for the voice of the Lord. I know another man in this body who has insomnia, and uh, when he wakes up, he will spend hours with the Lord until he can go back to sleep again, and that's his time when God speaks to him and he listens. I know another man who has three alarm clocks, one set for 3 a.m., one set for 4 a.m., and one set for 5 a.m. And uh, depending on how disciplined he and his wife are in the morning depends on which alarm uh, they obey. But their goal is to spend hours in prayer in the morning. I think I'm doing pretty well if I get up at 6 a.m. I wish I were better, uh, but... But that's the case. We were visiting my oldest daughter, Abby, in Colorado Springs. And I would get up at 6 and I'd creep out into the kitchen and make a cup of coffee. And I'd sit down on the couch and I'd open my Bible, be all set for my time with the Lord. And here would come my 8-year-old grandson, Kemper, in his Superman pajamas, you know, missing a tooth. And uh, he'd climb up into my lap and he'd look adoringly into my face. And then he would breathe that wonderful morning breath on me. And it didn't matter how far I backed it up, Kemper would hear me and come and sit on my lap and breathe on me. So you've got to work at it. uh, I actually bought a few years back a set of noise silencing headphones. And you know where I wear those the most? At home. At home when I'm in prayer in my office. We need to take time to listen carefully 
for the voice of the Holy Spirit, Gordon ended his message with the question, are we listening? Well, I hope you've gotten something valuable out of this message. Um, I'd like to end by just praying briefly. So could we stand and let's just pray over the points we've heard this morning. If you would, if something touched you, uh, maybe you might just lift your hand to the Lord as a word of thanks and as we pray, uh, be reaching out to him in faith. Father, we thank you for your word and for giving us the year, years of disciples and uh, giving us a heart to obey and how that's uh, caused many, many great and wonderful deeds done in your name that apparently were created for us before the foundations of the world. Lord, we ask that we would be extremely careful in how we listen and respond to the word of God, whether it's exhortations to be, uh, to walk away from sin, whether it's exhortations to action, whether it's the great commission, we pray, Lord, that we would be very careful in how we hear and respond to the word of God. We pray we'd be obedient, and then we also pray that we would be filled with the love of Christ as we go about in our everyday lives. We also ask, Lord, that you'd help us be extremely careful in how we listen to each other. Help us not to be focused on ourselves, narcissistic, and, and jump in with our stories, Lord. But help us to be very respectful of the other person's moment and uh, be an incarnational presence for them that is loving and supportive. Help us with that, Lord. And then finally, help us to not just have good intentions, but to really have those times dedicated to listening to the voice of your Holy Spirit. We know you speak to us as we go, but we also pray that we would have the discipline to have those times where we listen for your voice. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I ask a rich blessing upon them in the name of our mighty Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray and commit these things. Amen.